We're going to finish our, our finish line series today. And uh, when we started it, I quoted a survey from Tony Campolo. He asked um, a whole bunch of 95-year-olds uh, what they thought about their lives as they looked back and what they regretted. And um, several said that uh, the top three answers were, um, I would love to reflect more. I wish I would have reflected more. I love that because I think that's so uh, relevant for our culture today. Um, we spew out information without even thinking about it. We share a post without even knowing uh, if it's valid or not. Uh, and how many times we share posts and then someone sends us a note and says, I checked that up on Snopes and it's actually not true. That person never said that. That never happened. And I love the, the fact that as people get older, they look back and say, I wish I would have reflected more. I wish I would have been more considerate and thoughtful. Another one was, I wish I would have risked more. And that's definitely an interesting one to be able to just step out and say, I will try this. I will do this. Or as believers, I will trust the Lord uh, with all my life and my resources or as the Lord leads me. And um, so I will risk more. And the last one is one that I want to kind of um, talk about today is these 95-year-old people said, "I, I wish I would have done something or been part of something that would last beyond me. That, that I would invest in something or be part of something that would live beyond myself. And I want to think about that for a moment. There's, there's many things, um, of course, that we do or are a part of that live a little bit beyond us. Obviously, our relationships and things like that. But today I want to talk about specifically what I'll call, and I don't want to use it in a cliche type of way, but really in an honest way, use this word, creating or having a gospel legacy. A legacy that, that allows the gospel to continue being at work in, in, in the lives of people we've touched and, and, and letting other people know and understand and experience uh, just the power of God through Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk about t- that today because here's the thing. Many of us, we can categorize or yeah, categorize a life well lived in so many different ways. Oh, I wish I would travel or experience stuff or I wish I would have been more famous or had more swag or more bling or more whatever, right? Uh, that would have been cool. But there's more to that. Now, it's, it is good. I, we, you know, I look back you know, and wish I would have traveled more or did, did some other things, but there's a little bit more to that. We've talked about some important things also, like at the, at the end of our lives, we'll look back and say, how have my relationships been? How have I pursued conflict or dealt with conflict? Have I been a forgiving person? Uh, how has my character grown? Last week, Marlene did a great job helping us consider the stewardship of our lives, our talents, our resources, our money, our gifts, our skills. Are we stewarding those um, to make a difference in our world, to bring healing to our world, and surrender to the Lord for him to use? And so these are different things. Of course, we can look back and say, I, I want my life, or I hope my life would have been about these things. But today, as we talk about finish line, I want to explore something that is a little bit, you know, heads towards the eternal. And here's the, this idea. If you know, imagine you would come to the end and say, I know I've played a part in God's mission that changes the trajectory of people's lives, both now and into eternity. I mean, that fits within that 95-year-old regret of, I hope I could do something that lives beyond myself. It's the very thing that has an eternal impact. And I think there's a a certain kind of reward in that that is different than also the reward we get from some of the other things we've been talking about the last few weeks. Now, don't get me wrong, because leaving a legacy in relationships, 
in forgiveness, in being known as a great friend, in contributing to great causes, in having your money go to wonderful things, in, 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 in serving uh, the local, uh, local and global impact in different ways. That is not to be belittled at all. But I want to just consider this eternal impact of a gospel legacy. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 20. And um, we're, we're in this section here of the book of Acts. We're tracking through Paul's life in these chapters. And Paul comes, he's on journey. Eventually he's heading to Rome. And uh, he has his eyes set on Rome. He wants to eventually make Rome kind of the, 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 the operation spot for his mission. But he's slowly getting there, coming, you know, going, going up or down the coast there. And he's trying to get there. And he's going from place to place. And I want to just read this as he makes a pit stop and meets with some friends from a local church that he was a part of. And this amazing statement that comes out in this section of Acts. So we'll start at verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made his arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene, or Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. So it's, you know, kind of in this journey. Thank you, Nick. That's the Greek way of saying that. Um, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. For Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, knowing, that, knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Let's just pause and pray. Father, um, as we take this snapshot of Paul's life and read from your word, Lord. We, we, just, we read this and, and welcome it with open hearts. Uh, we long for you to speak into our lives and particularly ways you want to grow us or challenge us or encourage us today, God. So we say yes to whatever your spirit wants to do in us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. So the context here is Paul saying goodbye. He's saying goodbye to some people, particularly these church leaders, these elders uh, in Ephesus that he's trying to make time for. And he's, he anticipates it's going to be their last time together. He's figuring, I'm probably never going to see them again. And so the words that come out of this are really heartfelt words, transparent words. And he sets up what I call his finish line statement. Paul's finish line statement in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It's so clear, it's so concise, and it really encapsulates what his life is about and what he's passionate about. 
It doesn't mean that there's other parts of his life that are not in place or that, that there's not other pieces that, that are valuable to him, but he lifts this up like a life statement. So let's read this part again. However, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. And we've been talking about that the last few weeks. And to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And here's the task. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's Paul's finish line statement. That's Paul's life statement. For Paul, a life well lived. A life where he would look back and say, I've done what God asked me to do includes this incredible passion, this incredible heart to testify to the good news of God's grace. When he gets to the finish line, his desire is that his life would have been about that, about testifying to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ, or as he calls it, God's grace. It sound, maybe it sounds extreme. Maybe it sounds a little fanatical. But Paul discovered something amazing. I mean, Paul was a guy who killed Christians... And then on a road toward a town called Damascus, Jesus shows up and and speaks to him and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, what are you talking about? And he says, he realizes he's persecuting the church of Jesus. And Paul meets Jesus in this incredible supernatural way. And he discovers the good news for himself, that Jesus came to rescue him, that Jesus came to save him, that Jesus came to transform his life, his life that was, in a sense, without God. He was, he was living the form, he was living the religion, but he was against what God's kingdom was doing. Jesus said, I've come to announce my kingdom, that, my, that people would know about my kingdom. And Paul was going against that. But he discovers Jesus in a powerful way, and he discovers the incredible mercy and love and hope and abundant life and eternal hope that comes from God. He found something new, something fresh, something true, something hopeful. So Paul's life while lived was something he wanted to extend to others, the good news of God's grace. In other words, it wasn't only what was good for him. And that's partly important. If there's people in our lives who are concerned for them, and when we think about our neighbors and our work, these are all important aspects to be involved in life. But Paul, when he thinks about this, he's ultimately thinking about an eternal trajectory, and he says, it's not good enough that I've discovered Jesus. Other people need to see who Jesus is. This good news is for everyone. And his life became centered around that, testifying to that good news, testifying to that truth. So if Paul has a life statement, I'll just pull it right out of this version of the Bible. It's testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ or the good news of God's grace. So let me ask you, like, what does a life that testifies to the gospel look like? What does a life look like that? If you want to get to the finish line and you want to look back knowing that you've partnered with the gospel, you've partnered with the good news being spread to people, you've partnered with what God is doing in people and through people and you're part of that, if that's your heart, what might that look like? Well, we see it in Paul's life statement to testify to the good news of God's grace. I love that word testify is interesting. We don't really use it much anymore except in a courtroom. Have they testified, you know, to something? Another version says, have you bared witness to this? It's when you believe something's true and you can articulate it as truth. When 
only tell people you believe this is true. That's testifying to something. Now, some people do it in a courtroom. When you testify about a fact or a circumstance, you're at the stand and you say, yes, this is what happened. This is what took place. So you're testifying to what's true. Paul is saying, I'm testifying to the good news of God's grace. This is true, and I want you to know about it because it's truthful. And it's good. as it's good for me, it's good for you. I was chatting with a young guy in our church um, just in his late teens, 19 years old in college last week, and I said, hey, how can I pray for you this week? And I was expecting like exams, um, you know, this maybe relationship issue, uh, uh, you know, I wish I had a nicer car type of prayer. He's like, and he, he just threw back at me and said, you know what, just pray that I can be a great testimony this week at school. I'm like, wow, one, I rarely hear people use that word anymore, testimony. And I thought, what an amazing prayer for a 19-year-old guy in college to say that, yeah, Lord, whatever my week is like, um, through my studies, through my conversations, through my interactions, through my ups and downs, Lord, would I, would, would I be able to testify to God's grace? I love that. And the, the gospel, we can think about it as truth in two categories. And this is in Paul's mind. It's historical and it's experiential. It's historical truth in a sense. It happened. Jesus died and rose from the grave. It's historical. It's experiential for Paul because he experienced Jesus. And it's the same for people who follow Jesus. We believe in this historical truth that Jesus lived and spoke and taught and performed miracles and died and was buried and rose from the grave. But then there's this, there's this experiential part of it that we know is true as we've come to trust Jesus and we experience him and we experience his transformation. Last week, uh, we had two guests here at Westside that were from uh, connected to a church I was part of years ago. And, um, and it was amazing to hear their journey. I just had met them at the beginning of them coming to faith. Well, one of them particularly, and one is still on a journey. And, uh, and I loved hearing their story because I recognized that their trust in Jesus, the truth of Jesus and the gospel was not just historical for them. God has been doing something in their lives for the last decade. And it's true. And it's it's happening. Something is happening in their lives. It's also this life testimony. We testify more than just with our words. It's not just about our words, but it's more than that. A couple's marriage can testify to what a relationship can be, right? When you see a couple and you, you look at them, they don't have to teach you about marriage. They can just show you. And you look at their lives, you're like, wow, their life and their relationship testifies to what a good marriage can be. I... I was not or still not fully an animal lover. But I, but I can testify to the fact that anybody can care for a dog. That's me. I'm not or was not or still not fully an animal lover, but we have a dog in our house. And so I don't have to say anything, but I can say, you know what? Anybody can care for a dog. If I could, then you can. And, and there's some truth to that. It's not, I don't have to say anything. I don't have to, to talk about it. It's just something that can happen. And our lives can bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ more than just our words. And I love this piece because this is so helpful. Because Paul says his, his task, his mission is to testify to the good news. Did you catch that? Paul's not creating a message. Paul's not making up some kind of truth. 
Paul's not trying really hard to, to, to kind of like change this message of Jesus, the good news of God's grace, so people can like, you know, fully get it. Of course, he, he, he does bend over backwards to help contextualize the message and to help people understand the message. And depending the cultures he, he's in or the background he's talking to, he helps people understand it from a different perspective. But, the, but for Paul, the good news is the good news. He testifies to something, He doesn't testify of his own story necessarily or his own message. He's testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he testifies to this unique message of Jesus. The message was already established. Jesus came. He taught. He lived. He healed. He died. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. When people put their trust in him and the good news of his message, people are transformed in Christ we can become new people and transform. That message that Jesus is Lord of all things is a declaration of the good news. Paul didn't have to make up a message. He had a message. He just testified to that message. He didn't testify to his favorite cause or ideology or angle or slant or political idea. He testified to the message, the good news of the gospel of grace. And this is important. It was clear in Paul's mind. Paul knew what the good news was and he pointed towards it. He was clear when he shared it. I love verse 21 that says that, that what, what Paul was doing, even with the Ephesian church, was he said, I turned, I called people to turn to God and to repentance and to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Paul's simple approach. Just calling people to turn to God, to repentance, to turn away from their own life of sin and turn to God, and in that process put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the simplest approach to, the, to coming to know Jesus. And Jesus, in fact, in Mark, or not Jesus, it was said about Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, that he came announcing the kingdom of God and calling people to repent and believe. To repent, to turn from the direction they were going in and to put their belief, their trust, their faith in Jesus. That was the simplicity of what Paul's statement is. But Paul didn't only, it wasn't only Paul's life statement. It was Paul's life summary. And here's a few things around this. How did Paul live this? Well, first of all, he lived it in community. We saw a great example of this this morning as we prayed for the harders. That their belief in Jesus, their trust in Jesus, their following Jesus was not isolated from a community, was not isolated from a local church, was not isolated from God's people. And Paul had that deep-setted belief that his faith, that the gospel was connected to the church. And then you, you see this picture, right? He's traveling through. He doesn't want to stop in Ephesus, but he somehow contacts the elders of the Ephesus church. He's like, could we meet over here? It was so important to him to connect with these people, to spend time with them, to pray with them, to say a final goodbye to them, because it was their family, it was their church, it was, it was God's people. They did something together in that town. They saw the gospel grow in Ephesus, and this became family to Paul. Paul's testifying to the gospel was not isolated from community. It was all part of community. And so they became like family. You can't leave a good news legacy by yourself. This won't happen. You cannot leave a spiritual legacy, a good news legacy, disconnected from the local church. The local church is God's plan to show the world his kingdom. Yes, there's faults. Yes, there's some crackpots in the local church and all around the world. Yes, there's some people who sometimes misrepresented or reflected poorly, but it's God's plan 
that the gospel is bared witness to through the local church. I love this one phrase that Paul says in Ephesians 3, verse 10. This phrase is always, like when I felt discouraged about you know, how the church can fail, how I can fail, how we don't do, always do things right, I read this verse and I'm like, God, thank you for your grace. And this is what Paul says. He says his intent was that now, God's intent, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somehow, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, they look down to the local church, and as people come to faith and are transformed by the gospel and are are reading the scriptures and are serving one another and are loving one another, it's like the church becomes this mirror up to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, and they're looking down like, oh God, I understand what you're doing with the church. Oh God, I get what you were doing all along. I understand why people, why Jesus built initially this community of 12 disciples and how it spread it to be a family. God's intent that was through the church, this would happen. And this is important. Your partnership, my partnership with the local church leaves a spiritual legacy. We are a witness together. We reflect God's love together. We show the world We should show the world how to do conflict better together, how to resolve conflict, how to pursue reconciliation, how to welcome and and be intentional about forgiveness in our ministry, in our prayers, in our worship, in our outreach, in our very relationships. We all together have the power to bear witness to the gospel. As the Bible said, the church is the hope of the world. Why? Not because the church is perfect, because God has said, I want the gospel to, to be bear witness to by the church. So Andy and Sylvia, their time here in Montreal, now they clock it at 13 years, and they've been missionaries with us. They've been missionaries with us here in Montreal. They, part of our local church, the slice of God's global church, together we have bared witness to the, uh, to the gospel in our community in their neighborhood, in their workplace, among us, when we serve together. They were missionaries with us. You know, a friend of mine that was part of our church community early on struggled with faith and is in a season of, I say, disbelief, not believing in God at all. And and I remember talking to her a couple of years back and we were talking, and, and I tried to share with her some ideas, some thoughts. We were processing some things. And she, she's just, she's really on this path right now uh, of disbelief. But listen to what she told me. One of our last conversations, she said, you know, Dave, I'm, I'm struggling with belief and the reality of, you know, God existing or not. But then she said, but, but there's one thing, and she said it like this, there's one thing that shakes my unbelief. Some people say the reverse. There's something that shakes my belief. She said, there's one thing that shakes my unbelief. The beauty and generosity of the community at Westside. Now, it's not, it's, I think there's ways we can still grow in that. But in her experience, she said, what shakes my unbelief is that there's still some amazing things that the church, these people who put their trust in Jesus are doing and how they serve and give and sacrifice, and help the community. And I loved hearing that. I, I didn't love necessarily he- seeing where her journey is, and I'm just praying that God would, you know, that she would slowly come back. But I, 
I, hearing that just shook me. You know what shakes my unbelief? The church shakes my unbelief because it makes me want to believe. And that's Paul's heart. The other thing in Paul's life is his everyday life. If you notice, he said, he told you know, the Ephesian elders, hey, remember, I preached in public places. And then this little phrase that we really need to read into a little bit, he says, and remember, I went house to house. It's not that he went from church group to church group and community group to community group and, hey, we did a Bible study here. He's like, I went from house to house. We spent time together in each other's homes. We had late-night conversations. We, we had dinner together and we prayed together. We took afternoon walks in the local, in the center of Ephesus. We, we endured persecution together. House to house. Everyday life. And Paul says in one phrase in this section, he says, with humility and tears. That's the heart of someone who in everyday life is living out the gospel. In the Ephesian church, they saw this in Paul's life. So Paul testified to the gospel by sharing his life with people, not just his words. Look what he says to the Thessalonian church in this next phrase. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of our lives, not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Our lives as well. That's why we say here at Westside, we're called to be God's living and local presence. We're not just a mouthpiece for God. We're called to be his living and local presence. And I, I love, I, I, I'll say this till I die. If the gospel is good for you, it has to be good for your street. If the gospel is good for me, it has to be good for my street. It has to be good for your workplace. It has to be good for your relationships. We are bearing witness to the gospel all day long through our decisions and our finances and our relationships and our workplaces and our business transactions and our meals and our laughter and our grieving and our praying. We're bearing witness to the gospel in everyday life. But Paul couldn't have done this with this incredible force, the personal force, God's very own spirit. And and he says this in uh, verse 22 and 23. He says, I'm compelled by the spirit Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Just wasn't a lofty idea, like my life would be better in Jerusalem. No, no. In fact, it's the opposite. He says, I'm compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And I know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that success and a better income and safe neighbors and nicer cars are facing me. Wouldn't that be awesome? The Holy Spirit woke you up and said, today is your day for a brand new car. But it's not Paul's experience. I know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Paul was able to finish this race testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ because he was led by the Spirit. He listened to the Spirit. The only way Paul was able to finish this race and be led into city and city and town and conversation and why walk into a town and sense that the Spirit says, go down to the water and chat with these people. And then somebody comes to faith and that person opens their home and a church starts in their house and years later the, the city's being blessed by that home group and church. It's like, how did that all happen? Because Paul was listening to the Spirit, following the lead of the Spirit. See, living a life on mission isn't filled with tricks and charts and memorized techniques or Christian pickup lines to get people to church, you know, thinking of a great way to, to do this. But I, I believe it's through the, the work of the Spirit. The primary thing we need, and you need, I need, is to listen to the Spirit and respond. 
to listen to the Spirit and respond. You know, I love this quote from Bill Hybels that the, the only form of evangelism is listening to the voice of the Spirit and responding when he prompts you to speak, to ask a question, to give, to approach. But here's this one other piece that I think is where we kind of lean from this as well. It's in suffering. I think a gospel legacy is often filled with some opposition, and Paul knew he'd face opposition, but he still went. The Holy Spirit, he said, the Holy Spirit warns me that everywhere I go, I'm faced with prison and hardships. Man, if that was me, I don't know about you, but if that was me, I'd like, thank you for warning me, Holy Spirit. I'm going to go the other way. You know, like, I'm not going to go to prison. I don't want hardship. I don't want them to beat me up. So thanks for the tip, and I'm going to go west and not east. But Paul, his calling was greater than the potential suffering. His call and his heart and his desire to finish his race, testifying to the good news of of God's grace, was bigger than any potential suffering that could have come his way. In fact, once there's this scene that is so crazy where where there's this riot of people in like almost like a small stadium and they want to kill Paul. And his friends are saying, Paul, don't go in. And Paul's like, I got to go. I got to go. I got to let people know the good news of God's grace. And here's a question for us. Are we, are you willing to face opposition for a life well lived? Are you willing to face opposition and hardship for a life well lived? This does apply to the gospel, but I believe it applies to our whole life, not only the gospel. Because let me, this is getting clearer for me as, as I track years, right? But it's like ease and comfort do not equal a life well lived. Ease and comfort don't equal a life well lived. Some of us, and me included, will never experience great relationships, will never experience or develop our strengths, will never accomplish something great or see breakthrough in our finances simply because we avoided opposition or hardship. Sometimes we have to go through the hardship and the opposition to experience great relationships, to develop our gifts and our strengths, to see breakthrough in our finances or accomplish something great. Beautiful music is made through hours of struggle. Through hours of struggle. Fruitful business is the result of many failures. Healthy relationships includes really hard conversations. The roof breaking down won't kill your budget because you endured years of building up an emergency fund. It was probably hardship because like, oh, I wanted to do that, but I should probably expect my roof to break in five years. And all of these goals, they won't be easy, but they'll be worth it. Paul tells us, God himself said, you're going to endure hardship. But he said, I don't care. I'm going anyways. Because for him, a life well lived was to testify the good news of God's grace. Because there was people in that city or that town or that trip or that boat that deserved and needed to hear the incredible news of the gospel. And so Paul said these words, and we'll read it one more time from, from his life verse. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Now just pause a second. It doesn't mean that Paul had self-pity or low self-esteem or that his, his life was like a doormat. Everybody stepped on him. It wasn't that. He's just saying, I have this greater call. I have this greater purpose. And, and, and my life is going to be more, it's going to be better and lived well and complete when I do this. 
And so his only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. If we want to come to the end of a season or a life and say, I have left a gospel legacy, then we need to look at Paul's life statement and say, how can I incorporate that into my life? And how can I press in more to let the Spirit lead me and stay deeply connected to the community of God's church where the gospel bears witness and be open to the fact that we will deal with hardship and look at every, part, every inch of our life, every aspect of our life, our day, our, our walks, our work, our relationships, our homes, everything to say, Lord, how can I do all of this for your glory? Let me just ask you, is that your aim as you get to the finish line? Is, is that your aim when you get to the finish line? That's my heart that I just pray the Spirit just grows that in me, that the Spirit would grow that desire in me. But let me ask you this as we end, and I'm going to ask the team to come up. We're going to close. Maybe that's your aim to get to the finish line and look back and say, I want to be the kind of person that testified to the good news of God's grace. And maybe some of the things we talked about are also welling up inside you. You know, I want to do now what I can't do later. I want to invest in relationships. I, I want to make sure that my finances honor God. I, I, I want to be able to grow in my capacity and creativity. And I want to leave a gospel legacy. But to ask the question, is there anything getting in the way of that? Is there anything stopping me from that? And I read this book a couple of years ago called The The Essentialist or Essentialism. And it's by an author, a British author called Greg Greg, uh, McKeon. And and, uh, he tells this story that for forever, since he was a kid, forever, since he was a kid, he's always wanted to buy a stormtrooper costume. Forever. He's just like, he's just like, and, and he, he wanted, to, that's what he wanted. It's like, I mean, this guy has been successful in business and management and leadership, but this yearning in his heart forever was like, I want to buy a stormtrooper costume. And, and he never had the money. And when he would look into it, it was always like a thousand bucks. And he's like, I can't spend a thousand bucks on a stormtrooper costume, or my wife's going to kill me if I spend a thousand bucks on a stormtrooper costume. Anyways, one day when he, had the money and his income level was gave him the opportunity to spend a thousand dollars on a stormtrooper costume he finds a place in town that sells stormtrooper costumes legit and he's like i don't care if it's a thousand bucks i'm gonna buy it so so he goes down to this store and he's in awe because he's like oh my goodness he's freaking out right so he sees he sees the stormtrooper costume and he says, can I, can I try it on? And they're like, yeah, you can try it on. Figure it all out before you make the purchaser. So he, he goes in, the, he puts it on. He's, he's all suited up. And he comes out. And he's like, where's the mirror? And he looks at the mirror. And then he's looking at himself with the stormtrooper costume. And he's looking at his arms. And he's looking at the mirror again. And he's like, I don't know if this was a really good dream of mine to have. <laughs> And he left the store not buying the Stormtrooper costume. And it's such an amazing metaphor because let me ask you this question. Are there things that you and I are pursuing just like the Stormtrooper costume? We think they're going to give us fulfillment. We hope they're going to make us happy. We're just like believing that when we look in the mirror and see ourselves with it or have it or get the experience, we're like, my life is complete, you know? 
But are, are there things in your life that you're pursuing that feels like that stormtrooper dream? Maybe it's a title. Maybe it's a certain number of net worth. Maybe it's a wardrobe or fame or a bigger house. Maybe it's even some cool things. But see, that this pursuit, this pursuit that you have, you guys can start as we slowly move into worship. This pursuit you have, this obsession of whatever it is. And, 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 and Greg said this. He said, you know, I obsessed over this stormtrooper costume for my whole life and it drained me. I was always thinking about it, wondering what it, what's it going to be like one day. Weird little thing. And I wonder if some of our pursuits drain us. They just kind of pull, pull some energy out of us and it's stopping us from the other things that we really long for when we get to the finish line and look back and say, I wish my life would have been about these things. Because you can fill in the blank for whatever stormtrooper means to you. But the reality is, is that at the end of your life, when you look back and it's probably not going to be, I'm so glad I bought the stormtrooper costume. Right? I'm so glad I got that title. I'm so glad I hit this like level of net worth. Oh gosh, I'm so glad I had this much square footage in my home. So glad. See, and those are the things, the stormtrooper pursuits are the things that are actually stopping you and me from the other things in life that we really long for. And this gospel legacy that we want to leave because all the stormtrooper dreams take our energy and our time and our thoughts. And they take attention away from the real prize. They take attention away from the real prize. In fact, Paul said at one of his letters, he says, you're running this race. Who got in front of you to take the prize away from you? You know who often gets in front of us? We get in front of us. It's the stormtrooper dreams that gets in front of us. So as we close this series, we're going to take this next few minutes to have a time of worship. And I'm going to invite you to ask the Lord, Lord, what stormtroopers in my life do I need to lay to rest? What stormtrooper dreams do I need to lay to rest? What pursuits am I pursuing that either you already know or maybe God needs to help you understand that when you get to the finish line, you're going to look back and say, oh, that, was, that, wasn't, that wasn't a worthwhile pursuit. There's so much more that I wanted out of life. There's so much more that I wanted to do with my resources. There's so much more I hoped for for my relationships. There's so much more God wanted to do and shape me as he's the potter and I'm the clay, but I just, I let these other things get in the way. And to look back and say, there's, I know I could have, I could have left, you know, participated in God's mission, partnered with his spirit to leave a gospel legacy. And that's how we end this series today. So as we worship As we lift up the Lord in worship, I want us to lay down our stormtrooper dreams. Let's stand as we do that today. And we're going to take the next um, 10 minutes or so and just fully give our worship to the Lord. I encourage you to do that with all your heart. And if if you need a moment to to, to kneel or pause or even write that pursuit down and say, Lord, I'm, I'm handing this to you want you to give it to him and in the context of us worshiping if you feel you need prayer uh, i want just step out of your seat and come here in the front area and myself or someone will come and we'll specifically pray with you and stand in the gap with you for this guys would you lead us in worship as we move into this yes father we celebrate we celebrate this truth you are hope you give light in the darkness you are truth you are peace oh god uh, only under your name, the name of your son Jesus, 
that we can be saved, transformed, given new life, made new. Live out the beauty and power and grace and values of your kingdom here every single day in our workplaces and our homes and relationships and our businesses and our finances. God, we thank you so much that you are changing our hearts, that you're transforming us. And that is hope in itself. That is hope, God, because this world does not offer us what you give us. And God, as we look at the world around us, especially the last couple of weeks, oh God, may we be a people that stands up for justice and stands up for love and embraces poor and the weak and those who are acted upon unjustly may we be your people here in our city and in our province our country and around the world may you use our resources to bring healing to this world and may we grow and become more like jesus so we can bear witness every single day throughout our day towards the good news of your grace And we thank you that in Jesus, we also have hope for eternity. And we have life with you and your new creation and the fullness of your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. Bless you. And we're going to end saying this prayer off the screen. It was our verse for today. It's Ephesians chapter Three, it's a verse that um, encapsulates our heart at Westside, what we long to see happen in us. And so let's pray this together. Let's pray this. This is Paul praying for the church. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for those around us. Let's pray for our city. Let's do this together. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Let's say our, our hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we, we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What do we say? Awesome. God bless you, everyone. God bless you.